Welcome to Charity Talks. I'm Brooke Denevsky, and today I spoke with Mark Stolson, the CEO of Legatum, and Ellen Agler, the CEO of the End Fund. In 2006, Legatum realized that millions of people in Rwanda and Burundi were suffering from treatable, neglected tropical diseases, such as intestinal worms. So it decided to fund programs to address this huge problem. After its work demonstrated the feasibility of scaling these programs, Legatum created the End Fund. As we discuss, these diseases affect millions of people each year in the developing world, devastating so many lives, but they are all potentially curable at very little cost per life affected. So far, the End Fund's work has already helped hundreds of millions of people, and it has set an ambitious goal of eliminating these diseases entirely within our lifetimes. I think you'll really enjoy hearing from Mark and Ellen, whose inspiring passion for ending these diseases is evident throughout our discussion. Welcome to Charity Talks. I'm Brooke Janewski, and today I'm speaking with Ellen Agler, the CEO of the End Fund, and Mark Stolson, the CEO of Legatum. Ellen and Mark, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Great to be here. pleasure, Brooke. So before we discuss the End Fund, I think it makes sense to discuss Legatum, given that it was the founding investment of the End Fund. So Mark, could you start by telling us about your background and what Legatum is? Yeah, absolutely. Happy to, Brooke. First of all, thank you for having me on your podcast. Um, we just had a sort of a pre-discussion and it's a real honor to be here. And I'm just uh, really looking forward to listening and learning as you continue to do these podcasts, uh, hopefully from Yale next year. <laughs> thank you. Um, yeah, so maybe just by way of introduction. So I grew up in Arizona. I grew up in a family of entrepreneurs and with parents who had a really strong faith that informed their values. And so growing up, the idea in our family was use the resources that you have, your time, your treasure, your talent in the service of others to, to benefit other people. And, um, and I just took, that was deeply ingrained in my childhood and the way I grew up and I, I've taken that with me in through life. And so at Legatum, you know, I'm the, the CEO and one of four partners. We co-own this business. We run it together and we crafted our mission together. And the mission is to help others prosper. So you can see kind of all of that learning and input from childhood really expressed in adulthood, but through the vehicle of business and partnership. And the way that Legatum has really tried to breathe life into our mission statement is in the humanitarian space, so the end fund is one example, but we've taken a similar approach in the anti-slavery, anti-human trafficking space, and in uh, really innovative education solutions as well, predominantly on the continent of Africa. And so it's just, it's it's been an amazing and an unusual opportunity to partner with people that I really like and care about. We've been doing this together for almost 20 years to run an investment business that spans the world, allocating our capital, trying to generate more capital. And then if we do that successfully, using it to execute on a mission that we all care about very much. We get asked a lot like how it is that we're not a family business. We're all from different countries, different backgrounds. 
but how it is that we've stuck together over all this time. And it really is that sense of shared mission that keeps us going through thick and thin and good times and bad times. Um, and every once in a while, something truly extraordinary happens. And that's what we're talking about today with the Infund and our partnership with Ellen to, uh, to do something that is changing the world. Definitely. We're going to talk, obviously, a lot more about that soon. But as you mentioned, Legatum has a network of investments that seeks to improve people's lives all around the world. So can you tell us about what some of them are? Yeah, sure. So the Freedom Fund is in this anti-trafficking, anti-slavery space, and it just comes out of research. I mean, as an investment organization, we do a lot of research. That's a big part of our job, our day jobs. And, you know, the research showed that like 15 years ago, there was just a very small amount of money, whether government or private money, going into anti-slavery efforts. The International Labor Organization estimated that there are close to 40 million people in some form of slavery or bondage around the world. And in this day and age, we just found that totally unconscionable and just thought, okay, is, is there a way for us to lean in here and make a difference? Most of those those people that are that are in that in some kind of bondage, bonded labor, or outright slavery happen to be in South Asia. And so we felt like let's get involved there. And the approach that we took was pretty innovative. On the one hand, we use the same fund approach that we used with the in-fund. So it's a collaborative philanthropic vehicle um, that really brings together a lot of people. But I think the more innovative part about the Freedom Fund is the emphasis on what we call frontline workers or frontline social entrepreneurs. And so instead of us coming in with some sort of top-down solution on how we could change you know, a nation or a region, we just went and looked for the people that were on the ground already making a difference in their communities where they speak the language, they understand the culture, they've had a demonstrated track record of success in rolling back slavery or trafficking and just coming alongside them and supporting their efforts. That has proven to be hugely impactful. Um, and under the leadership of Nick Grona, the CEO of the Freedom Fund, it spread to a lot of other countries and it is now definitely certainly one of the top two privately funded anti-slavery organizations in the world. So super proud of that. Luminos, really quickly, is, uh, is a, another awesome story that is worth more time. And basically, what we found in Western Africa was that as a quirk of government regulation, kids who don't go to school when they're seven kind of get locked out of the whole school system for the rest of their life. Because basically to get back into the state school system, they have to take a test, which by definition they can't pass if they have never been in school. So it's, it's this sort of you know, circular problem. Some really clever Norwegians used a Montessori approach to, to get kids back into school in an accelerated time frame. They called it speed schools. We loved it, we funded it, and then looked to scale it. And so the speed school model became what is Luminos today. And that approach has spread from West Africa to East Africa, has seen almost 200,000 kids go through it and get back into school with like a 99% success rate. And it's just, you know, it's super gratifying. And it's kind of like Teach for America. We, we use uh, people who aren't, you know, people who are right out of college, who haven't really had a, a teaching job before, but who are invested in their communities. Um, and it's amazing. It's just a handful of things that we, have done to execute that mission of trying to help others prosper. 
great yeah and I'm sure you could talk forever about all the different great projects you're working on but can you share how Legatum's work on neglected tropical diseases has led to the creation of the N fund yeah well I'm a big part of being an investor is just to be aware of what's going on in the world so we travel a lot we read a lot and one of my business partners, Alan McCormick, was reading an article in the Financial Times. And, and it's funny how these things can start. But he read about the fact that there are like 1.5, 1.7 billion people that are afflicted by these diseases. They're ancient diseases. You know, apparently Pharaoh had some of these worm-based diseases in him. And today they're only found in some of the least privileged, toughest communities on the planet. You don't find them in New York City. You don't find them in Tokyo. You don't find them in Europe. These have all been eradicated because the medicine, the medicines have been around for a really long time. So we looked at it and thought, well, how much would this cost? And we discovered that to treat someone, it's about 50 cents per treatment. And so you do some simple math. And I guess we just sat there and thought, this is a solvable problem. Like th this should not, this should not be the case anymore. And this is potentially a solvable problem within our lifetimes. So let's see if we can get to work and, and make a difference. And one thing led to another. We wound up talking to a pioneer in this space out of Imperial College. And we basically did one of the first mass drug administration projects in Burundi and Rwanda. And for us, this was a bit of a test case. It was a way of experimenting and creating a case study if it worked. And what we found was that after years of, of effort and a lot of lessons learned as well, it did work and it worked amazingly well. And the Infund was born out of that. There was a gentleman called Bill Campbell, who's the chairman of the Infund. We met with him, shared this vision. He was on board and fairly quickly thereafter, Ellen was hired as the first CEO. And when you, when you put together the experience that we had, plus the incredible leadership experience that Ellen had and has. Bill Campbell was amazing at getting the fundraising going right out of the gates. And I think there's one really important part of this story that uh, is worth sharing with other people. And that is Legatum had run this project kind of on our own. And, and like I said, learned a lot of lessons. But when it came time to actually scale it and make it world scale, we took our name off of it. And we could have called it the Legatum Project to eradicate worms from the world project thing, you know, <laughs> but we did oh, it. Catchy, Mark. We did it. <laughs> yeah, it really catchy, right? You can tell I'm not in branding, but we, we intentionally took our name off of it because the spirit of the Infun was and remains one of collaboration. It doesn't belong to us. We had a, a part, a role in, in initiating it, but it's meant to be shared. And I think the reason why the Infund has been so successful is because of the other person that's on this podcast. Ellen exemplifies that spirit of collaboration, of sharing, of not seeking to be in the limelight and of letting others get the credit. And it is amazing what can happen when you've got a really compelling vision, a model that works, and you're willing to let other people make it their vision. Um, and that's really been, I think, kind of the rocket boosters on the Infund and why it's been so successful. I think now would be a good time. Ellen, could you tell us about yourself, your background, and how you came to the Infund? Well, listening to Mark tell this story with his 
always passion and enthusiasm and just being articulate about causes that he's not in the day-to-day -day where someone like I am is amazing to me. And I'm having a flashback to being in New York in the spring of 2012 when I was interviewing for this role. And it was Mark's ability to be an incredible storyteller that totally captivated me. He told the story of the God of men and the vision of creating prosperity in the world and what that was about. And I actually thought at the time, I might, I was told you might not be totally qualified for this role. They're really looking for somebody from the private sector, but they want to meet you anyway. And I was studying up on every single thing I could uh, about NTDs, about every journal article. And I hadn't really been looking for this role, but a recruiter called me. I was at Operation Smile at the time working um, to help kids with cleft lip and palate around the world. And I loved that job, so I wasn't really looking. But when I saw this role description that over a billion people had these horrific treatable diseases, and I had gone to school, I'd worked in public health for many, many years. I had studied public health and I didn't know much about these diseases. I was completely shocked. I thought this can't be, this can't be that this are treatable diseases. I haven't heard of them. Someone needs to do something about this. I'm glad these people are. And the more I learned, I started having a million ideas about what should be done, what could be done. And when I was kind of given some advice that you're probably not the right fit. So, but meet them anyway, I, I just said, okay, I'm going to meet them and I'm going to give this list of ideas so that whoever does do this job could maybe, maybe some of these ideas will be useful. So I came with like very low expectation of, but also with like, maybe some things will be useful here. And somehow this, this meeting, which was with Mark and with one of his partners, Alan McCormick and someone else named Doug Balfour, who ran a Geneva Global at the time that was their philanthropic consultancy. There was just like a energy and a chemistry and a, like a real meeting of the minds of like, we care about this and also a sense of real entrepreneurialism, like, and we're not coming at from it from like a, a perspective that's like the sort of stayed, let's create a log frame. How would you do this if you were in government? Uh, it was like, let's roll up our sleeves and how would you just, you know, create this from scratch? And I remember Alan McCormick at the time was reading this book called Blue Ocean. And it was like, really? You know, it's just big sky thinking. And I just thought it was so cool because so many organizations are started by people who, you know, kind of are in the weeds on projects. Like they're maybe social entrepreneurs, but they're, you know, a parasitologist might start a project on dealing with worms. I was like, who are these guys that are in finance from Dubai who've developed a passion for worms? <laughs> in Burundi, <laughs> I mean, it was so unusual and so exciting. And so I, and they had these massive dreams about how much money could be raised that is secretly I thought was possibly uh, impossible, but I did love this like zero to one curve, you know, that the startup ambition and one of my favorite books, um, it was uh, written by this amazing woman that was called The Power of Unreasonable People. And I, part of me was like, they're amazing. They're unreasonable. <laughs> unreasonable also. <laughs> Let's see what we can do together. <laughs> and so I think when you work in public health, you do think about how can you do the greatest good for the greatest number of people with this short life that we live. And I felt just moved from the bottom of my heart and to do something with a group of people that have become dear, dear soul friends and to feel like 
we have each other's back in a sense of we can fall and fail and learn and trust that, okay, we're not doing, we're learning along the way. This is there. We're working in countries with really complex environments. The landscape is not always easy, you know, growing, fast growing organizations in this environment in the world. I think it was Mark, uh, you told me about this term. Uh, I think it might come from flight the world of flight, like VUCA. We live in a VUCA world, which is VUCA. volatile, uncertain, <laughs> complex, and ambiguous, which I think yeah. kind of encapsulates leadership in this moment. So just really grateful for Legatum, for the vision of the collaborative fund model, which is, I think, also thinking at the scale of the problem, which a lot of could have been the end project where we tried to do everything ourselves and implement things on our own. And this has been the end fund, which means we support the best and best organizations in each place where this problem exists. So it means dozens and dozens of organizations. And in 10 years, we've been able to really scale. Well, I think, again, it's so incredible what you're doing. And obviously, I think a big misconception about nonprofits is you have to be in this box or you have to do it a certain way. But what I've noticed is a lot of the more entrepreneurial you know, mindsets are actually the most effective organizations. And that, so that definitely resonates with me. And I know we already talked a little bit about it, but can you share what exactly is the End Fund's mission and goal overall? So the End Fund's goal is to control and eliminate the most prevalent neglected tropical diseases. And as Mark said, it's not just in our lifetime, it's over the next decade. We know that there are over 1.5 billion people who need treatment for NTDs now, and that the medicines are available, the delivery channels are available, and that by 2030, 90% of that burden, at least, can be reduced. So it is amazing that since the End Fund was founded in 2012, 600 million less people need treatment now than needed treatment then. In the next three years, there are dozens of countries that will have eliminated at least one disease. So we are on a trajectory to really see an end of the impact of these diseases that have been around for thousands of years. And one of the incredible things about this area of NTDs is that a group of pharma companies like Pfizer and uh, Johnson & Johnson and Merck Serono and Merck, they have come together and donated over $4 billion of years worth of medicines so that that's not the commodity price is not the barrier here. It's really the 50 cents per person per year is the cost of getting training community health workers, getting the fuel for the vehicles and motorcycles to the rural villages to deliver, uh, making sure that you've got all of the logistics needed so that you Community health workers, whether it's gathering people at a church, going door to door, or oftentimes it's teachers helping to pass out, you know, deworming to kids, that that can happen at scale to every community that's at risk. So that's incredible. The thing is that that still does cost, you know, that still does cost. And right now, even though we have the plan and the trajectory and the resources in terms of human capacity and plans to do that there still is a funding gap. I mean, NTDs right now represents less than 1% of all global health funding. It's a ne called neglected tropical diseases for a reason. They are neglected. And it's not that the diseases are neglected because it's like, you know, one in five people almost on the, on the world has, is at risk or has one of these diseases. It's that the, the people are neglected. It's 
you know, if you have these diseases, it usually means you don't have access to consistent water. You don't have sanitation. You might not have shoes. It's really people who live in rural poverty, who don't have political voice, who don't live at the capitals. And so I really think that when you think about treating these diseases, it's, it's, the, it's the epitome of having the poor and having just a center, just centering the most vulnerable people and solving a solvable problem at the center of our hearts in, in the coming years. So I'm very much hoping that we can rally and continue to rally. And we've had so much success. I mean, it's, it's incredible that the end fund, we have been able to deliver, you know, over a billion treatments in the past decade and helped a hundred, you know, hundreds of millions of people, but there's, there's still a pathway to go. And that's why we're excited to have this platform that we can really scale. And I have loved that we do have, you know, billionaires involved, but we've also seen, you know, we just have this, this past month, we've had a kid dedicate her birthday party to donations for the end fund, a bat mitzvah where donations went to the end fund, a lemonade stand. I mean, it literally is like a few dollars matters and, you know, significant multi-million dollar donations could wipe it out in a district or part of a country. I think the reason, Brooke, why, I mean, why does this even matter? You know, we talk about neglect of tropical diseases and it's sort of in a, an ethereal or academic, you know, understanding, or most people don't even know what they are, but, you know, these are horrible diseases. You know, these diseases can make you blind. They, you know, they, in some cases, they can kill you. They can make it impossible for you to walk, you know, for kids, you know, it's not to get too graphic, but you know, the worms actually eat the nutrition that's in your body. So your brain doesn't develop and your body doesn't develop. It keeps kids out of school and people from work. It has a massive harmful effect on community, on individuals and communities and even nations. And so this really, really matters. And the scale of the problem is massive, but the solutions exist. And I think that's why kids from lemonade stands are giving their money because it's easy to understand. Big problem. It, hurt, it really hurts people, but there's a solution available with a little bit of money and a very significant <laughs> supply chain management um, <laughs> process you know, done well, we can see the end of these diseases within our lifetime. And that's, that's worth getting out of bed for in the morning. Yeah, and I was just going to say thank you for sharing some of the specific examples because I don't think everyone always realizes, you know, what is the harm and it's obviously tremendous. And so it's great that you're doing work to help solve this. And I was just going to ask, what are some of the programs that the End Fund has to actually address these problems? Well, one of the things that I find incredible and transformational is we always talk about handing out medicines, but one of the, also the transformational efforts is surgery or advanced stage trachoma. So trachoma is one of the diseases that if you get infections over and over in your eyes, your eyelashes start turning inwards. And so every time you blink, it's like just been described as sandpaper, scratching your eyes and very painful. And your cornea starts going opaque until you're permanently blind. It's awful. And there are hundreds of thousands of people who, if they don't get this surgery to essentially just flip their eyelashes back to stop the pain and stop the progression to blindness, they, they won't be able to see and they won't be able to live, you know, and out their livelihoods. And I've had many people say, all they want to do is do their beadwork, take care of their grandchildren, you know, be able to walk to the market in their village and that this surgery has been able to help them do that. And now Mark and I have 
watch some of these surgeries and it can take 10 minutes, 15 minutes under local anesthesia. And that surgery is, you know, 40 to $75, depending on the context. So it's a little more than 50 cents, but it's transformational for someone's life. And that is a program that just in the past few years, we've been able to provide over 100,000 people with that surgery just in Ethiopia. So that's an example of another program that we're supporting. We've also supported a program for eliminating river blindness, which is one that's been really tough to eliminate in Africa. We were very excited just this year to announce that Niger is the first country in Africa to eliminate river blindness. So that's quite exciting. Uh, we've got programs, some diseases like schistosomiasis and intestinal worms are hard to fully eliminate, but we've got programs that are on track to do that in the coming years. So just, and also just real innovations. I think there's very cool things like just using satellite technology and much more detailed. I mean, in medicine, they talk about precision medicine to like really target for the individual patient, but there's kind of precision public health too, that's getting like down to the household, down to the village level using drones, using satellite technology. I mean, I could nerd out on this stuff of like how to just use and be more precise to better utilize resources, better, you know, better deliver, because it is this mass delivery program, but how do you get better at using technology? I mean, if anybody who's worked in rural Africa and health clinics, sometimes you just see these like massive piles of paper everywhere, like hand used paper, but now there's like handheld tablets and uploading data and better analysis of data. And it's just very cool to see how that all is just totally transforming um, public health and data use. So I get excited about things like that too. They're just improving healthcare and health service delivery and outcomes everywhere. And I know that the end fund is constantly identifying, you know, these different areas where there is an opportunity to make a real difference in people's lives. And so I'm just wondering, in either of your opinions, is there an area that you're currently investigating where you think that the end fund can make a really substantial impact? And how do you quantify impact in general? Well, I think it's really all about science at the end. I mean, when it comes to, I think the first 10 years of the end fund was about scaling up treatment. So it was very easy to quantify because it was access how many people are we reaching to get the pills that they need. Once you get to scaling down treatment, woo, that's harder to prove that transmission of the disease is no longer circulating in the environment. So I was just in a meeting where you have to actually, for river blindness, collect uh, flies to make sure that the parasite in, in the flies is no longer there. But you gotta collect, there's like 600,000 flies that have been collected in Mali and you gotta do DNA analysis of the flies, collecting blood samples from people. So there are technology about how to do that faster, how to have better lab um, protocols for that, how to improve labs in Africa. I mean, you, you just don't think about that necessarily being a barrier, but some of this lab-based work and, and, and quicker protocols and cheaper protocols so that you can do all that faster, cheaper, quicker, is, is happening. And I think that that's all uh, quite exciting. And so to me, because some of these diseases aren't about full eradication, it's about elimination of transmission, you still will have to have some surveillance. And so the post elimination surveillance is kind of the next stage of just making sure that it never pops up anywhere and we keep it down. So that's, uh, that's, another, that's another phase. Once you get to the end, you wanna make sure you really stay at the end. Have either of you had any personal experiences that have shown you the impact that the End Fund has had, either on a person or a community in general? 
The impact of the infant is massive. You know, it operates in over 30 countries. It's, it's done over a billion treatments. It's just key to understand that in terms of the people who are actually receiving these treatments that, you know, we have pictures of individuals from mass drug administrations, just to remind ourselves that even though the numbers are huge here, it's really about people. It's really about the lives of individual people just getting better. Like Ellen said, giving people sort of a fair shot, you know, at, a, at a, just a basic level to live their lives. Uh, but the two vignettes that spring to my mind in terms of the impact of the end fund are also within the broader community. It's not just the beneficiaries, but it's the, the people that are collaborating together. It's the team, it's the partnership with the end fund, it's, it's others. And, and so one picture in my mind is Ellen put together a trip of donors and other interested people to climb Mount Kilimanjaro together and really kind of plant the, literally plant the flag at the summit to say, we're gonna see the end of these diseases. And, you know, it's a long climb. It took us seven days, but at the very, very top, the last 50, 100 yards, Ellen and myself and, and my business partner, Alan, we linked arms and we walked the last 100 yards together. And to me, that is a picture that really captures the spirit of the infant. We're going to get there, or we're going to get there together. And we're going to get there with smiles on our face. It's going to be a long journey. It's going to be arduous. It's going to have its ups and downs, but we are going to get there and we're going to do it together. And I love that picture in my mind. And, and I, I think of it often when I think of you know, the challenges ahead as well, but we are going to get there. The other one is there's so many, we've had so many opportunities to, to visit the work and mass drug administrations and visit the field. But one story that sticks out in my mind is my son you know, when he was a teenager, went on one of these trips and there was the opportunity to participate in a training program for people with, what, what was it? Was it lymphatic uh, filariasis? It lymphatic filariasis, but they had a very advanced uh, stage of it, which is called elephantiasis. So sometimes people who have that, their feet can grow to double the size, triple, sometimes 10 times the size. So it's, a, it's, a, it's quite a significant disfigurement. And it's, yeah, and it's really hard to look at and it's very painful for the people suffering with it their skin cracks and it's, and it's, you know, people get ostracized, they get kicked out of their village or whatever, because it, it's, it, it looks so abnormal. So here was this like group of people suffering from this disease, all sitting on chairs. And the, the point of the meeting was to teach people how to do self-care, how to clean the wounds and how to take care of themselves. And the people visiting from the infund, including my son, and like people who are like senior bankers at JP Morgan and people that own huge ad agencies in New York, and my teenage kid are, are, are sitting there, and their job was to go and wash these people's legs. And just the picture of, of you know, my son getting the opportunity to be on his knees, washing the, the feet and the legs of some other person and connecting in that deep, profound human way was extremely moving as you can imagine. But again, I feel like that captures the spirit of this thing. There's a kindness and there's a, there's a big heart that really is at, you know, at the core of the infant. And Ellen, again, this is the last thing I'll say today, but Ellen exemplifies that. And I feel like you would sense it if it wasn't authentic, but it people say culture comes from the top and it certainly does at the end fund. And Ellen has that big heart, but that big brain making this whole thing go from what started as a, a little pilot project in Rwanda and Burundi to now 
a major global health initiative that covers lots of countries and hundreds of millions of people. I can already tell, you know, just from this conversation that there's so much kindness behind what you both are doing. And I think it's incredible. And so how can those who want to help best do so? I'm so glad we're doing this conversation together. It's making me so nostalgic for all of the experiences we've had over the 10 years. And I think that I would emphasize, I think it's, I've spoken to so many young people recently who really want to think about their careers. Like, well, what do I need to do first? And what do I need to do second? And how do I build my resume? And what's the exact field that I need to go in? And I, I don't always think of, people are taught early enough that it's really about the relationships that you build and it's not mm. necessarily and the moral compass that you that you that you have clear and that if you have your values and your moral compass and you are deeply honoring in your relationships your career will follow and the opportunities will follow and you will do great things with love and with trust and with honoring and that's where life is built and it's not like the perfect job and the friend i i just think that when i think about the quality of connections at the end fund that's what people feel when they come in especially like the group of donors that have come around the board the team there's just a real uh spirit that i think is differentiating and so whether it's the end fund or not i i encourage everybody as they find their their passion their cause they really invest in those relationships over the long term. And of course, we would love to have you involved in the end fund. I mean, in the littlest way, you could, instead of buying your latte today, you could send a few dollars to the end fund and know it'll make a difference in the lives of, of a few children. Or you, there's ways that we have a page on our website that is literally ways to get engaged. And it's everything from, we have openings on our climb to Kilimanjaro. Uh, we do one every year now that's happening in October. Uh, we've got ways to host dinners, to get involved in advocacy online, to follow us on social media and be a part of doing activism. I mean, we've got lots going on on Twitter and Instagram. And I just think that honestly, they are neglected diseases. So as much as the people can help with awareness raising. So it's not always about donations. It's about just, you know, helping get the word out. So, you know, really, I think our websites and some of our social media is a good place for a one stop. But please do yeah, consider supporting the end fund. It's, it's, it's a low bar to make a big impact. And I just would say, keep learning. I love that there is this podcast about learning about great organizations and the people behind them. Um, thank you so much, Brooke, for, for having this idea and for sticking with it. And thank you to all of your listeners for really investing the time to, to learn about great organizations and actually what it takes to make, to make impact. I was just going to echo what Ellen said, and thank you, Brooke, for, for hosting this podcast in general, but us today and giving us an opportunity to talk about something really close to our hearts, the end fund and the work that it does, but also, like Ellen described, this community of people that have come around this cause, and glad that you're part of it. Well, I appreciate it. And lastly, you know, is there anything that either of you would like to add about the end fund or Legatum or really just anything at all before we end? The last thing I would say is at the beginning of this podcast, Ellen described this meeting many, many years ago in New York where she was interviewed and she didn't feel like she was up for the job. The, the reality is the moment that we had interviewed dozens of people really with huge credentials and great resumes, the moment Ellen walked out the door and the door closed behind her, Alan and I looked at each other and said, there goes our CEO. 
it was obvious in the moment we called it. She came like bearing binders full of research that she had done and she could pronounce the diseases. She could face <laughs> schistosomiasis and lymphatic filariasis and onchiosclerosis, things that we've learned. It's taken us years to learn how to say those diseases. And I think it's that kind of dedication and that kind of desire. There's a passion. If you want something, she educated herself and, and came prepared, um, but she had that the heart as well. And you know, here you are 10 years later and she shares the stage with Bill and Melinda Gates and with Warren Buffett and it speaks on TED Talks and Fortune Magazine has named her as one of the top 50 most influential leaders on the planet. I mean, so did she have what it takes? Of course she did. And she will tell you nothing happens. Like it's not a single person that's been a massive team effort. And it has like hundreds and thousands of people, tens of thousands of people that have been involved in making this work, but it does take leadership. And so maybe that's my parting shot today is, you know, great things can happen when people come together, but it does take leadership. And, and Ellen is a tremendous leader and a, and a tremendous friend. So thank you for having us do this together. That's been a real joy. Thank you again so much. I'm really glad that I got this opportunity to speak with you both. And I think that a lot of people can learn a lot from what you're doing.